The Athletic. The race is on, and Ferrari took the lead in F1 launch season with an extravaganza at Fiorano that even included the car on the track. And it's not just the reveal of the SF23 that went well, but according to murmurings at Maranello, this really could be the car to make Ferrari a serious championship contender once again. I'm Ed Straw, and joining us to explain why are Mark Hughes and Gary Anderson. Well, Gary, how are you? Did you enjoy that launch? Well, yeah, I think it's one of the best launches this year so far, or even the last couple of years. It's, it's nice to see the car running. It's what we always used to do at the Jordan. But it can come with its uh, its trials and tribulations as well. I remember, I think it was 1994, Rubens came to head off in the, in the Jordan around the track with all the press out in the pit lane and all that. Drove off quite happily, but then I just heard it didn't change gear. And I thought, oh, what's that? So uh, he went around, you know, the whole track in first gear because it wouldn't it wouldn't change from first gear. Basically, came back into the pits, blown away by I was racking my brains, and uh, I just leaned over. And the, the the steering wheel has got two positions, one uh, one that's sort of it's a safety position on the steering column where you take it off. You can, but to get the the connector completely connected, you have to go into the second position, so it's right in position. Um, and basically, whenever the steering wheel was put on. It didn't get put onto the second notch, it got put onto the first notch. So the connection wasn't going in first gear, but it wouldn't do anything after that. So I just leaned over, caught the uh, the quick release with my hand, pushed the steering wheel on, and away it went. So uh, a big relief by all, especially me. Um, but it just shows you, you know, there's some of those little things can just uh, scupper you whenever you try to run the car. And it's obviously brave for Ferrari. So again, impressed by them doing it the way they did. A good save from you there, Gary, for that. Right, but it was nice, wasn't it, Mark, to see. Charles Leclerc go out in the car and did two laps of Fiorano. No, they weren't rolling very, very slowly or anything. They were, they weren't full on laps, but they were. You could see the car moving around. But you know, it, it, he was driving it. Yeah, they were representative. You know, he was. Um, you got an idea of the speed. It was bouncing out over the bumps and sparking up. And uh, yeah, it was a bit, a little bit darty when the tires were cold. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was representative. It give, it give the fans the, the idea of what it, it is to see one of these cars driven in anger. Very good effort. It was nice to see the car moving and doing its thing. To be honest, you can't tell the speed of these cars. They're so fast anyway. Uh, Gold slow, they're still so fast. So uh, it was it good. It was nice to see it bounce around a little bit, as you say. Well, let's get on to the actual launch. We had Scott Mitchell there on the ground. He sent us this quick report. We were trying to get him to do a little bit more, but unfortunately he's been dashing to the airport, having trouble handing his hard car back. And as we speak, he is charging through the airport to try and get to the gate so he doesn't miss his flight. So he has a good excuse for not doing anything more, but he did have this to say. So on the latest edition of uh, just me roving around, apparently... um (laughs) <laughs> trying to contribute to the podcast in some meaningful way while attending launches. I'm actually coming at you as live uh, from Bologna Airport, where I have uh, dashed perfectly within the speed limits, of course, from Maranello and Fiorano, the track where the launch was actually held, um, to the airport so that I can escape back home and be back in time to do all the coverage for the Mercedes launch on Wednesday morning. So was it worth this sort of 24-hour mad dash after McLaren? It absolutely was, and all credit to Ferrari for that, because as we've uh, discussed quite a lot through this launch season, there have been quite a lot of underwhelming launches and teams not really trying and 
being a bit misleading, but this had everything. It was an on-site event. It was a fantastic location. It, the weather was smiling on us as well, um, which was perfectly pleasant. And more important than any of that, we had a real car. So real, in fact, that Ferrari launched straight into doing the shakedown after revealing the car to us, which was honestly quite a cool thing to witness, even though there were only a few laps that were completed, two by Charles Leclerc, three by Carlos Sainz. Uh, in terms of the um, the vibe of the day, obviously quite feel-good atmosphere. I get the feeling that Ferrari wouldn't put something on like this unless they were quite optimistic and, and being quite positive about things, not least because who wants to shake down their brand new Formula One car in front of a not just a live audience on site, but obviously they were streaming the event live. So everyone was tuning in worldwide and could have seen this colossal failure if the car hadn't run. So from that side of things, obviously starting on, on the right foot, but then we heard from Fred Vasseur and the two drivers and there is a there's a quiet confidence and optimism through Ferrari. That much is clear. It feels like they've had a good winter talking about things that they've been able to address on the car side, try and improve some of the negative characteristics that we saw last season, but obviously get on top of that pesky reliability that caused them so many issues in 2022. And the suggestion is that is what they've done. So the feeling is that... Now, this has been mischaracterized a few times as Ferrari find like getting extra power over the winter. It's not quite that. They've reclaimed the power that they basically lost and or sacrificed at the end or second half of last year, running the engine in a slightly lower mode to protect it against the reliability problems that were inherent within the engine. They've addressed that. They've made the changes they're allowed to make over the winter. So the feeling is that Ferrari has indeed got on top of that. And what that means is unleashing the, I don't know, 15, 20 horsepower, two tenths of a second worth of performance that they had sacrificed on the engine side in the second half of last year. So that is super encouraging for Ferrari fans, I think. Plus then you weave in the usual winter development, fixing the issues that that were maybe unfixable in season. And it all added up to quite a positive frame of mind for Ferrari. The thing is, this, this kind of thing is, it's, it's only a first impression. That, that's all it is. You, you can't glean too much from a few laps on on shakedown, they'll do a bit more meaningful running with further shakedowns this week um, before going to, to Bahrain. So there will be there'll be much more to learn, and reality might bite. You know that's the big caveat against all of this. They've got to go to Bahrain and not just in testing, but at the opening race and prove that all of this progress is real. But certainly the omens have at least been good for Ferrari so far, and that can only be encouraging after a season in which they were pretty underwhelming in the end in 2022. Well, Mark, as Scott said that. Ferrari heading into the season, potentially in a good position, some optimism for the car, some reasons there with the engine improvement as well, or the improvement in the reliability of the engine that allows them to use the performance of that engine means that they're, they're quite hopeful. Did you get that sort of vibe? Yes, and there's no reason why they shouldn't be. You know, they had a very good car last year. It was unreliable in the end, and they had to turn the engine down a bit, but if they seem confident they've got that aspect of it fixed. You know, we've seen a lot of the other, like the midfield team cars um, in introducing packages that are quite a significant change around from what they had last year but we wouldn't necessarily expect Ferrari to, to do to make such big changes because it was basically a very sound car so I think yeah they've got every reason to be optimistic if they if, if they feel they've now got the the, the uh, power unit reliable they can run it aggressively as they were in the beginning of last season when it was clearly the the most potent engine out there and the aerodynamics seemed to work pretty well um yeah they, they, they haven't they haven't messed with it they haven't tried to reinvent the wheel they've taken what was a 
clearly a, a good platform and um, developed it. And Gary, obviously, Ferrari has huge potential. We know the resources they've got. So Ferrari, if they have done as good a job as they clearly quietly suspect they have, that's quite ominous, isn't it? They should be fighting for the championship. Yeah, yeah. As Mark says, they had a, a car that was it was quick. You know, and Charles Leclerc's hands have got a lot of pole positions. So, you know, the, the fact they didn't win more races was that it wasn't quite as good a car on race day. And again, then second half of the season, the reliability problems came in. But, you know, the car that I've seen today, it's uh, it's last year's car with dot in the eyes and crossing the T's, as I'd call it. You know, there's no, there's no sort of change of philosophy in it. Um, there's a lot of areas altered slightly, and that's just logical development, practicality. Um, you always find new solutions, different solutions. As I say, some of the things like the radiator inlet, very much the same as last year, but it's a bit longer. So the air spillage will come out that smaller end, outboard end, a, a bit more, um, a bit more uh, defined. Um, and it, by making it a bit longer, they've been able to move the bottom of it up a little bit, which means the undercut can be a little bit bigger. You know, so, subtle changes here and there. Um, suspend, front suspension, they've they've dropped the steering um, column or the steering rack as such and the track rod down to the, um, the bottom wishbone area. So they've got that out of the way of the airflow coming off the front wing and they're really using the top front wishbone to redirect that airflow. So again, you know, it's all subtle stuff, um, but it's all areas where they're looking at it and saying, right, we can we can move forward for actually by, by moving forward a little bit but I'm not trying to take a big gambles, you start less risk of losing yourself because it's so easy if you just change the sort of philosophy of the airflow through it around the car, you can lose yourself just as quick as gaining. So I think that's sensible, but I think also in the background of that, they are pinning quite a lot on the actual uh, improvement in the power unit. So they're pinning quite a lot of the performance step into the power unit and, and, and sort of just being maybe a little bit too careful with it with the car itself, not just going far enough. But, you know, only time will tell. Only they know that if the numbers they've got with the, the size of the floor is, if the numbers they've got, you know, has, has recouped that lost downforce. That's happened and I've done very well. Um, and as I say, if all the little modifications of the car all add up, then, you know, yeah, it'll be a better package. Um, I'm sure they've played around the weight distribution a little bit to help the tyres. So lots of stuff that you can't see, but I think they're, you know, they look in a fairly confident mood. And of the car, Enrico Cardillo, the head of chassis, said that although it's an evolution, in reality, it's been completely redesigned. Talked about the aero gains, the suspension gains, the characteristics they're trying to find. And Mark, one of the things they talked about was wanting to get the kind of more consistent performance across a range of corner speeds. Charles Leclerc said it was very open, the handling of the car, by which he meant open in terms of the, the range of ways it might respond, low speed versus high speed, was was quite wide. It sounds like they're quite optimistic that they've solved that particular problem, or at least they've taken steps to change it. So they seem to be targeting the right areas. Yeah, and like um, most teams that we've seen that have released cars so far, there seems to have been a little bit of a, a, a realignment of um, where all the the radiator area is um, looks like they maybe moved a little bit of it up because they it, it's all it all seemed to be centered on getting that um, the airflow to the floor inlet to the underfloor um, absolute maximum efficiency and um, it seems that they've, they've cleared a little bit of space there to do that so that you know that that should in theory open up that um, that window of um, handling traits that they they're seeking. 
And Gary, you did mention in the piece you did for the race.com, don't forget the hyphen if you're heading there analysing the car, about the shape of the uh, of the side pod in terms of being more sympathetic to airflow direction changes. That seems to be quite pertinent when it comes to what Leclerc was talking about, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, if you if you sort of look deeper at what he's talking about, you know, when we say you want to, the car to perform over a wider range of corners, that means, you know, from slow corners, medium corners, fast corners, uh, and then you have to look at what the differences is. So, Obviously, um, slow corners, the right height of the car will be higher um, because the car loses loses load, so the car will raise up. Um, the steering angle, steering wheels, or the front wheels as such, will be uh, at a bigger angle, so that changes the airflow characteristics of the car. So those are the two fundamental changes. Um, you know, in a fast corner, you can pull, you know, four, four and a half G laterally. In a slow corner, you can pull two G laterally. So the, the roll and the yaw of the car will be slightly different as well. So those are the aerodynamic, it's the aerodynamic window that you're looking at to try to generate uh, a consistent balance through that, 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 that set of corners with, as I say, different steering lock, different roll, different yaw, uh, and different ride height. So you look at all those different corner speeds and you say as the car, with, with those characteristics built into how the model's being run, and then you say as the car got a sensible balance, um, you know, does it go does it go backwards at lower speed with higher ride height, more steering lock? Does it go forwards with higher ride headlows, but you try to balance all that up. So that's really what he's talking about, is trying to get a consistent balance uh, for all those different uh, car attitudes, as you might call it. And the thing is that, you know, although there's very little downforce, let's say, you know, like 100, 120 kilometer quarter, that downforce is worth its weight in gold. You know, whenever you get to the sort of 300 kilometer quarter, 280 kilometer quarter, the loads are massive. But that, that better downforce you get at the 100, 120 kilometer corner is like, like, like gold dust because it's the only thing you can sort of change a little bit. You can move it around a little bit by front wing angle or, or rear wing. Um, you can move the weight distribution a little bit by changing the, you know, where that is. Just, you're only allowed, I think it's one and a half percent of change. So, you know, you, you just want to make sure that you've got yourself a little window that says to the driver, the car will feel with the same balance through all the speed range. That's that's the objective of uh, of trying to make the car more consistent through all that corner, those different corner ranges. And obviously this is absolutely critical under these regulations. Everyone's trying to do that, so Ferrari's done it as it hopes. That's a very positive sign. Uh, Mark, just to come back to the overall, I'm going to say concept of the car in the loosest term, I'm more talking about the visually distinctive look of it, obviously the the, the bathtub shape or the scallop type or whatever we want to, uh, however we want to call them, obviously Ferrari have retained those. That's kind of to be expected. But do we think that we'll continue to see such a big difference as time goes on with this? Could it be that there is a winner out of the Ferrari approach or the Red Bull approach? Or do you think within these regulations, it's actually just a different way of cracking the same nut? I, I suspect... Probably the latter. I think it's all about the the underfloor performance with this formula, and it looks as if the way that Ferrari did it was very competitive last year. Red Bull went a different direction on terms of the upper bodywork, um, and we see they they evolved that uh, with a bigger downward ramp of the side pod, and they came up with that cannon cooling um, route along the side that exited either side of the exhaust. And Ferrari's not done that. A lot of, a lot of other cars have done that. A lot of other car, cars have copied Red Bull in that. But 
uh, Ferrari hasn't. But I suspect it. They they both work the underfloor very effectively, and that's that's what was making them the fastest two cars last year by a significant margin. And I I don't think it's uh, necessarily it, the the Red Bull's the only way to do that. The Red Bull outer bodywork is the only way to do that. I don't think that's as significant as the um, as whatever it is they're doing with the underbody. What direction do you think you'd be going in, Gary? Do you think it, it can there ever be two equally performance to use a, uh, a French word that they quite like using? It's not really an English word, but it's quite a nice word, performance. I like that. Incidentally, just to break in, I have had a message from Scott Mitchell. He's made it to his departure gate, so he will be returning uh, for the next launch. But do you think that you can have two different approaches that that can yield the same performance? Um, you know, it, it's the same old deal. I always find the detail is where you gain, gain the, the little steps that, that all line up. You know, it's no one piece. You have to count all the little bits up. And you start with your concept knowledge that you think you can get the best out of it. And you optimize all the little bits and pieces and you add that all up. It would be very, very difficult to do that twice with, with a, a, let's say, a Red Bull concept and a, a Ferrari concept. So you, you follow your path, I think, is the best way of putting it. And as we've seen, we've seen, what, seven cars so far this year. We haven't really seen the Red Bull, although it's done a shakedown, and the one we saw in America was a waste of time. Um, we've, we've seen the, we haven't seen the Mercedes, and we haven't seen the Alpine. So out of the seven cars we've seen, I haven't seen one pursuing the zero side quad route of Mercedes last year yet. Um, so I'm sure that, you know, they all scratched their head when it came out and thought about it, but not one of them has gone that route. Um, I suppose if I was looking at the teams that we've seen so far, there's a, a combination of radiator inlet duct uh, system from Ferrari, which is like a, a, an eyebrow, I suppose you might call it. Sweeps around that corner and, and there's a letterbox shape, but you know, quite neat and tidy. Um, obviously, we've got the Aston Martin, which is very much Red Bullish, but we've, we've got more cars with the longer undercut in the side pod, leading edge like the Red Bull. So there's a combination there of Ferrari and Red Bull. And I think that's where you sort of go. You know, you have to start with something. And I think if you were, if I was looking for next year where I would start at, what I would be looking at, you'd try to rationalize in your mind what the, the, both of those cars were trying to do. And then you sit, you put yourself in a position where you could, you know, move around from one to the other a little bit in that side pod detail. As Mark says, you know, the big performance comes from the underfloor and it's about getting the best system of your side pod flow to get the best out of that underfloor. You know, on these cars now, for example, if you could suddenly put on a, a, a sliding skirt, a sealed skirt, you, you would effectively, you know, maybe not double the downforce, but pretty close. Um, so that's the objective, trying to get as much out of it as you can to try to help that underfloor. You would have to, you know, if you, if you were able to put on a sealed skirt system, you'd obviously have to re-engineer the, the underfloor quite a significant amount because it would probably just stall the first, left the pit lane. But on the way there, I'm just saying that that area is the area where you're trying to make that overbody flow, um, make sure that it is as as consistent, I suppose, the flow to the lower sides of the floor and into the underfloor. And again, you don't want to have negatives in there on the upper body floor, upper body surfaces. You don't want to get, create lift with them because that's negative. Any force you create vertical, whether it's pushing the car down or lifting the car up, will always create drag. So you, you, know, you don't want to whiff what, what you're trying to generate to, 
push the car into the ground by having some surface on the top that's making the car lift up a little bit. So, uh, you know, that's why there's differences. But I, I, uh, I think the big, as Mark says, the big, big car performance component is the bit we don't see, the big black bit underneath. Yeah, the hidden secrets there. Of course, there was one aspect of the car that did cause a few raised eyebrows, Mark. The slot gap separator brackets, you're allowed on eight on each side of the car, and there's five connecting the, uh, the the upper two flaps of the front wing. These are not dissimilar, not identical, but they're a similar kind of thing to what we saw Mercedes appear with, but I don't think they ever actually ran them on track last year. They appeared in, in Austin, but the FIA weren't keen on them because they seem to be creating some aerodynamic outwash. What, what did you make of those? Do you think that they are different enough to what we saw Mercedes try to do to be acceptable? It's down to... To, to the FIA to what it, what it's satisfied with. I mean, they they said that um, the Mercedes ones, which are were actually quite a bit bigger than the ones we saw on the Ferrari today, they said that they weren't satisfied that the primary function of those um, was structural rather than aerodynamic, and and they they felt that it was mainly an aerodynamic thing, and that the the structural function was just a, a convenience. So where do you draw the line? You know, when does it become insignificant enough an aerodynamic piece to justify that it's mainly a structural piece? I don't know. I don't know where you draw that line. But, um, yeah, Ferrari's obviously, you know, keen to go that route. These are creating a, a, a trailing vortices off there, which is going to speed the airflow up to where you need it. So, yeah, it's, obviously it's something that they're they're very keen on. Um, pursuing, as Gary said earlier on, you know, with the way they've aligned the 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 the, the, um, the, the steering and the, the the suspension and how they're trying to feed that 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 floor, it's obviously something that they're pushing very very hard. And, and the, these small details might might make a a, a crucial difference. But um, yeah, I, I would think in terms of the legality of it, it's not a black and white thing. It's 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 down to the um, the stewards to call it really. Well, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, yeah, the FI technical department can have a view. The stewards can have a different view. So far, in the Mercedes case, it was purely the FI technical department. And that raises an interesting question. Now, Ferrari, from what we understand, have had the FIA see this, so the FIA aware of what they're doing. So there's probably been a bit of back and forth. So unless we're told otherwise, we can probably assume that this design is okay. But of course, Gary, the kind of intangible question here is there's two things, aren't there? There's the regulations as written. As far as we can tell, and certainly we assume they do comply with those, with the various geometries and the CAD coordinates, etc. What what you can do, but there's that old primary purpose rule, isn't there, which is both quite useful and quite difficult to test against. Yeah, I sort of call that one of the grey areas. You know, it depends on how you read this primary purpose, and it's an opinion of everybody. You know, I, I could give you my opinions on a lot of the airflow in these cars. Um, but yeah, you know, to go out and prove it, you need to you know, go in the wind tunnel and spend some time. And obviously, the FIA have that opportunity now because they're still involved with the with the overall concept of the car, and they have all the CFD models. But it's one of these sort of situations where you need to be a little careful because the teams are good scrutineers as well. The other teams, the other nine teams, will be looking at that. And you know, it's one of these things. If it's acceptable, then they'll all do it. Uh, again, we've seen seven cars, one of them has it, six of them don't. Um, so it's one of these sort of areas where it, it, it can be just a lost cause as far as money spend's concerned. Um, and obviously with the with the controlled budgets now, with the uh, budget cap, you've got to be careful with that sort of thing. Um, 
The one thing I would say is that whenever the the, the uh, Mercedes example was brought in last year, you know, the FIA did rewrite the rules for this year. Now, I haven't read the law and taken it in uh, exactly that, the detail of it, but I believe they put the maximum size for it, you know, rectangular and a height that you could have off the wing surface. Um, and as long as it fit it inside that and had to be within a certain, um, to the center line of the car, it had to run a maximum angle to the center line of the car. I believe you were allowed three of them uh, between the, what we call the third and fourth flap of the wing. Uh, and I believe that you were allowed, uh, per side of the car, sorry. And I believe that if you were between the first and second bar of the wing, you were allowed either eight or 10 because uh, teams were, you know, having a, the, the, the second the second part of the wing was actually the main plane, which mounted the wing. And then the other part was a was a, a flow conditioner in front of it. So you were allowed lower um, slot gap separators or mounts um, between the first and second uh, flap than you were the third and fourth. Um, Ferrari have got five each side, I believe it is, at the moment. Um, three of them, the outward three, look a bit more structural than the other two. So um, I'm not... I'm 100% sure what we'll get away with. But as I say, if the FIA, they have been contacting the FIA and debating about it, then the FIA will have seen it. But that doesn't mean the other nine teams, when they see it, will, uh, won't, uh, you know, have a hissy fit. Let's talk briefly about the engine that we have touched on, Mark. Scott suggested that maybe there was a couple of tenths of second per lap just in running the engine to its maximum potential. They've had the chance to make tweaks in terms of reliability. You can do that with permission. Also, they had a power unit, Enrico Galtieri, said that they've done some work on their assembly processes, so making sure there's no errors there that are leading to, to problems. So we know the performance is in there because they were having to dial back from it last year. So it seems a fairly safe bet that they will be there with the engine unless they've made some error. Fred Vasseur said that it's worked well on the dyno. No concerns yet, obviously, with the caveat they've got to run it in the real world. So that should, be, that, that can be a provisional box ticked, we could say. Yeah, you'd hope so. I mean, they've had a, a, an awfully long time to fix it. They turned it down after the double retirements in Baku, which was in the first half of last season. So, And they did say at the time, I remember um, Matteo Bernotta saying at the time, that this is not a short-term fix. Um, we need to understand this, and it's it's going to be a long time before we can, um, you know, bring a bring a, a, a fix to it that we're confident in. And they, they ran it in that detuned form for the rest of the year. So they've had many many months to get on top of this um so you'd assume that they're there now and if it's it's performing on the on the dyno that's that's another box ticked so yeah the the, the final one of course is the, the the ultimate test which is on the track but um when they were running it more aggressively it was probably the 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 most potent of of, of the power units when you looked at the GPS traces. It was very, very good. It was particularly strong low down. Its its punch out of the slow corners was wonderful. Um, I believe it's got a smaller turbo than the others with a longer inlet, so it's a, it's sort of you know configured really to give that that good low down punch. Um, and yeah, did did definitely lose a, a couple of tenths subsequently. So basically, if they've got those couple of tenths back, everyone should be happy. And final verdicts on this car, Gary. Would you be fairly optimistic, just based purely on, on what you've seen? It's very little information to go on. But the detail areas they seem to have worked on appear to be the logical ones. They're building on a concept. The engine stuff sounds good. So do you think that they're 
apparent optimism will be well placed? Well, I'm not seeing um, what I would classify as a major step, I suppose, in the car. I can see it, you know, dotting the I's and crossing the T's. And I think, you know, that's a couple, three tenths of a second, maybe if you get if you get that all right. So really, as far as that's concerned, it depends on it depends on what the other teams do, mainly Red Bull and then obviously Mercedes and hopefully a few others. But mainly Red Bull and Mercedes as to how the, how the level of competition, how big a step they've made. So it's an unknown thing for Ferrari going into it. Um, but then I'm, I'm not I'm not seeing something there. I'd say, oh, yeah, that's a that's a good way to go. All of it's just been refined in that little bit. But just quickly going back to what Mark said of the engine there, and you yourself have said two tenths. You know, uh, two tenths of a second from the the um, turbocharged engine part of the, of the package of the PU. You know, that means a sort of an offset in, in the t- in the power curve of something like 25 horsepower. That's what you need to get to, to sort of give you that two-tenths. Obviously, you've got the, ele- the electrical power on top of that. Everybody's got that electrical power on top of that. Not everybody has the same amount of electrical power. The regulations control the maximum, and the, the you know, nearer you to get the maximum, the better it is. But, you you know, if you've got a, if you've got more power, a little bit peaky, if you could run the revs, let's say, from 14,000 to 15,000 on these engines, because they don't rev high anyway, um, then... You know, and you get more power between fourteen and fifteen, you'll get very, very little advantage out. You need to offset the complete power curve. As Mark says, the car is very good coming off the corner, um, or looks very good for acceleration. So they need to make sure that that step has allowed them to um, to take that whole step and and move the power curve that little bit higher, just in the, in the whole usable range that they drive the car with it. And so it's not just black and white. A power increase can give you reasonable lap time. Um, I'm not quite sure what reliability issues they really sort of confessed to last year because it's very difficult to to know what would be re- a reliability issue right through the rev range. I can see you cutting the revs a little bit because of reliability issues, but I can't see what would be a reliability issue right through the rev range. So um, with a package, the car looks fine. I'm not sure it's a big enough step, but it looks fine. Um, and as, if they have got that 20-odd horsepower from the engine and that two tenths, it'll be hard competition. Yeah, certainly reason for optimism from Ferrari, but obviously some serious competition out there facing them this year. We'll get back to the pod in a moment, but first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said done.
Let's move on now to getting Gary's verdict on some of the other cars we've seen recently. Myself and Mark were on a podcast yesterday talking about the Aston Martin and the Williams and the McLaren and briefly about the Alfa Tauri. So we thought we'd get your quickfire verdicts on these, Gary. Should we start with your old team, Aston Martin, which was once long ago, Jordan? What did you make of that car? Um, yeah, I mean, if, if I was to make a sort of visual sort of comment on it, I suppose it's as uh, as close to a red bull as what you could have. The radiator inlet system, um, the undercut side pods, all that sort of stuff is, you know, it's very close to what the red bull ran last year. And I don't think that's wrong to say it because I think it's, it, it is true. Um, obviously it's, you know, it, it is their own car and they, like with any, any of the other teams, they've all followed sort of a path that's been, been held by somebody else. You know, nobody's reinvented the wheel as far as I can see. All the cars that we've seen so far have all, you know, come from the family they were in last year as such with a few modifications here and there to to optimise them. Um, and, and most of them have carried something from Red Bull or something from Ferrari. So it's um, one of those sort of difficult things to know. The, again, the, the optimism within the team is quite high. And they were better at the end of last year than they were at the beginning of last year. It's one of those sort of situations I think we've seen with the with the Aston Martin. It's probably the nearest to the the the, the Red Bull packages as anybody. You know the radiator intake, the undercut side pod, all that sort of stuff. That was the direction they, they took their car in last year mid season, and it you know proved better for them at the end of the season. So they've obviously got mileage under the belt, understanding that philosophy. But you know they could only modify last year's car. This one they can sort of engineer it from the beginning. So I think you know I think what we're seeing is a is a, is a you know, credible step. Um, I wouldn't expect them to, do, to have done anything else because that's the direction they were trying to go in last year, really, with around the package they had, as I say. So, you know, they've they've now completed that. It's a new car based around that philosophy. And um, I'm pretty sure it will be a step forward. It's, but it's not only just those bits that we see, obviously. You know, the underfloor um, is the big package that makes it work. The, the philosophy of the Red Bull underfloor with its steps and, you know, the bits jutting out here and there. Uh, changing the flow velocity in certain local areas is, is quite incredible. And I haven't seen any teams, you know, any other team do that. We don't see the underfloor often enough, to be honest. That's one of the things. And I think these, the FIA should express that the underfloor reaches outside the garages on view for uh, upside down for uh, an hour every Friday morning or something so we can get a little nice picture of it and compare. But um, from what I have seen, the, the Red Bull one is a much more complicated package than any other, uh, any other car in the pit lane. Ferrari were heading that way a bit. I'm not sure whether they've exploited it any further, but, um, you know, for example, Mercedes was a very nice, simple aerodynamic shape, exactly what you would draw if you were sort of in your, at your start point, I suppose you might call it. But it's not the, the, it's not what you should end up at once you've done all the development of it. So, again, be interesting to see if we ever do get a good view of it. But what we see on the top surface on the Aston Martin is very Red Bullish. What we see underneath it, we have no idea. We'll move on to the McLaren next. As we talked about yesterday, Mark, quite a, a a basic evolution, really, of where they are at, quite downbeat. So, Gary, do you share that slightly negative outlook from the team? It's not really, you know, I don't see it as a negative outlook, to be honest. You know, they've had themselves a situation for a couple of years for, for whatever reason, Danny Ricardo just didn't fit in the, to, that, to that car philosophy, that driving philosophy. And obviously, Lando Norris did. He he could get results out of that car when when uh, Danny was really struggling. So that's very difficult for a team to sort of 
get your head around the fact of which way do you go with the car? It's it's really difficult. Now that's changed. You know, now they have a new boy in town and uh and their new guy just coming in from from um from Alpine as such. Um he'll be in a learning curve. So he will he will be happy enough to sort of adapt and he, and adapt his driving style to whatever Lander really leads the team in. So I think their their job as as McLaren will be easier this year than it has been for the last couple of years because they don't have two people sort of going in different directions, one of them being quite competitive in a car that somebody else can't drive. So um I think for uh for them they have to get their two drivers together and make sure they're heading in the same direction. Element of the car, you know, they 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 were arguably the fourth fastest car last year. Them and Alpine were battling it out a bit here and there. So if they can come out there again, um, then that's okay. They they have to start closing that gap down to the top three, but they, they need to come out in that, that fourth spot again, really, as far as performance is concerned. You know, the thing I, I look at is performance of the car and points are two completely different things, but it's much easier to score points if the car's quick than it is to score points if the car's slow, just relying on the race. So performance is everything, to be honest, and then you'll you'll make sure you sort the race car out. Um, so you need to take a step. I haven't seen it in the car that they've showed so far. There's a few little details on there that, you know, they look a little bit better. It's a bit like the Ferrari, you know, as far as the chassis is concerned. They've done little bits, dot the I's and cross the T stuff. And that's, again, that's why I see it on the, on the McLaren. It's, it's all dot the I's and cross the T, no big gambles. They've, they've gone new car, you know, they'll all tell you 95% of the car is brand new, um, but the same philosophy, just optimised that a little bit. And the Williams, which we did see on track, we talked a bit yesterday with Mark about the side pod changes. That was the main obvious area. They'd already highlighted that as a key aspect. Well, yeah, I mean, they had a major, have a major step to take to get themselves onto that level. You know, I think Alex Albon is a is a very competent driver, and if he had a you know a, a reasonably decent car, he would be knocking on the door of Q three, um, you know, every weekend because I think as far as talent is concerned, he's, he's very strong. But you need to, you need the tools to do that. So, for, as far as uh, Williams are concerned, you know they they've been in the doldrums a little bit. They changed the car quite a lot last year, mid season, and it made the car better in some aspects, but didn't make it better in all aspects. So they need to regroup and make sure they know what they're trying to move forward with, because it's so easy to just keep on developing or firing bits at the car, and actually you're not making it go quicker. You're just making it different. And every time you just make it different means every race you waste because you have to find your way again with it with the setup. So just figure out what you want to get out of the car and try and do that best way you can. They have a different philosophy in the car now, so it's about trying to optimize that and um, you know get the best out of it. And they need to move away from that, you know, regular sort of tenth position as far as performance is concerned. They need to get themselves into that battle where they're able to battle for sixth, seventh, eighth on a few occasions at least. And finally, Alpha Tauri, not a huge amount to go on in their renders. Anything catch your eye? Um, not really, just a very simple car. I mean, I wrote in my article that I thought that uh, this would be a year after their year last year, so it was fairly poor, relatively. I thought this would be a year where they'd really sort of latch on a bit more to the assistance that Red Bull can be to them. Um, I'm sure it's there for the taking, but they don't seem to have taken it. So... I don't know. Again, I haven't seen big enough changes in that car to sort of, for me to sort of jump out and say, I'm going to see a big, a big shift in performance. You know, the car, um, the car is 
car was pretty quick last year. We all occasion, but it was very, very inconsistent. We've lost Pierre Gasly now, but they're sort of, it's, it's a new new stage again, you know, somebody new coming in. So that obviously changes the whole dynamic within the team. They're not sort of going down the same path anymore and trying to satisfy a different driver. Um, they'll be lucky to move forward dramatically, I'd say. We'll still see the old good performance, but I'm not quite sure you see a consistently good performance. And Mark, to bring you back in, to tie all of this together, we've seen seven of them. Obviously, the Mercedes is launched tomorrow. The Red Bull and the Alpine we've only seen from a very long distance and can say nothing about. But what's your impression of the, the general trends? We have seen some clear areas that are where there is being convergence, not necessarily in the exact look, but in terms of what everyone's trying to achieve. Yeah, everybody seems to be trying to create a bit more space around those floor inlets by either, you know, scalloping out the front and um, moving the the radiators area up a little bit and putting more of it up on the, you know, the centre line further up. Um, and it does seem to be about getting, getting that... Um, initial um ramp down of the the uh the, the venturi tunnel to to a, a nicer shape and it seems that the the first year is like two teams got that pretty much right and the, and the rest have found baked in limitations in the architecture of their car and so this is the first chance of really hard to start from scratch and and, and and try and do a better job on that now that they understand it better yeah certainly it's great to see these cars in their second season. So I think we're going to get a much better feel for what's going to happen over the next few years. And these are almost the uh, the cars that will be, certainly for those who've had to make significant changes, developed through the next few years of this rule cycle as they really try and explore the limits of these rules. Everyone seems to think there's significant upside still to be gained in terms of performance. So very exciting from that perspective. Still a few new cars to see. And then, of course, testing in Bahrain fast approaching. So thanks very much, Gary Anderson and Mark Hughes, for your insight. Head to the race.com. Don't forget the hyphen plenty to read there from Gary in particular has been churning out his technical analysis of all the cars, or at least what he's actually able to see of the cars and there'll be plenty more of that in the coming weeks. Check out our other podcasts, including Bring Back V10s, which both Mark and Gary turn up on, and also have a look at our YouTube channel. There's still more launches to go, so stay with us for everything you need to know from Mercedes. The Athletic.